Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. Today I have Danny Joshi on the show, who's a friend and a colleague. Uh, Danny got his foot in the industry door as an intern in the press department of Sony BMG in 2005. Um, and that led him to take a two and a half hour daily commute um, for his day job. But even that couldn't deter him. And um, with true entrepreneurial zeal, Big Deal Management was founded out of his bedroom uh, as a talent agency when he was 22. And his break came after masterminding the client at at the time, Adam Deacon, um, who went on to win the BAFTA Rising Star Award. Um, and since then, he's done some amazing, amazing work, you know, frustrated at the lack of opportunities for diverse talent on British television. He set up Big Deal Films. And since then, they've gone on to do some incredible work with major platforms such as the BBC One, uh, BBC Three, ITV Two, Channel Four and Sky. He's currently managing Hamza Urshid, um, the YouTube star, and uh, he is the face of uh, Little Bad Man, which is uh, the, the new children's book, which is out, and of course, the Bad Man series on YouTube. So he's doing some incredible work, truly a force to be reckoned with. Um, it's going to be a good chat. Hey, Danny, welcome to Unplug with Annie. <laughs> Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Really good. It's good to see you. I've never done a Zoom chat before with you. But we've done office chats, we've done Waterloo Bridge chats. Yeah. Chats. We've done um one bit things party chats, but we've never done a Zoom chat. We've never done a Zoom chat. But like desperate times call for desperate measures, I guess. I appreciate your desperation. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, but yeah, no, I, I wanted to start by like understanding a bit more about your journey, especially how it started because you're, I mean, you have your hands in many pies and you're doing super duper like amazing work, um, collaborating with so many different platforms, helping so many different artists. Um, but in terms of how the journey started, I think that would be really interesting. So I know that you interned with Sony. So talk a little bit about that to begin with. Okay, cool. So my degree at uni was music industry management and marketing. So I always wanted to get into entertainment, but my thought process back when I was younger was always that I'd be in the music industry. And um, after I'd finished my second year, I, um, I was on the train back to Kent, where my parents live, for the weekend. And um, I got stopped at Victoria Station, right? And... Uh, the police stopped me and they did a terrorist search on me. And this was in 2005, right? And uh, they did a search on me because I had a beard. I actually had a goatee then actually. And um, they held me for two hours and I missed my trains. So I got the final train at nine o'clock. No, sorry, at 7.30. And I got back to Kent at nine o'clock. And um, my parents, they live above their news agents, right? They're typical Gujaratis. They live above their 7-Eleven corner shop. And um, I bump into my old next door neighbor. I bump into her daughter and I'm talking to her daughter and she's like, oh, um, I'm, she's like, what are you up to? And I said, I'm studying music industry management. I said, what are you doing? She said, I work at Sony Records. And I was like, oh, wow. Of all the places, of all the times, everything, this is surreal. Uh, so she gave me, she hooked me up with an internship. And uh, yeah, I just started there and I would commute for two hours to get there every day. They, that, their office was in Putney in Southwest London. I was coming from Kent. 
So it took me, yeah, I'd, break, I'd get the six o'clock train, get there for nine. And uh, yeah, I did a few stints there. And then um, I did that while I was doing my university degree. And um, yeah, it started me off in the right space and making the right contacts and stuff. That's how I started. So considering like music management was what you were looking at, how did like the talent management begin then? Because I know you represented, so you managed Adam Deacon for some time. How, yeah. how, how, how did that actually happen for you? Okay, so after I did my degree, I was working for a PR company and I was the new business manager there. So I was getting a new clients and also I was doing the PR for them. And um, I didn't really feel appreciated. I was always making the cups of tea because I was the youngest there. And I was like, why is no one making me a cup of tea? I want a cup of tea, right? So I was like, well, screw this. The ego kicked in a little bit. And I was like, well, I said, I'm going to leave. And um, I didn't really like getting taken orders. So they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to become a manager. I didn't have the first clue about being a manager. But um, in the background to all of that, uh, there was a channel uh, for music, independent music artists called Channel U or Channel AKA. And uh, I saw this artist on there that I thought was really talented. So I sent them the, a MySpace friends request and they saw my profile and saw that I'd done some work in PR. So um, they, uh, they uh, reached out and said, look, could you give me some advice? I looked at their stuff, I met them, I thought they're really talented. And then um, I thought, well, actually I could manage you. And I don't know what I was gonna do, but I thought, let me just try it. So I left my job, started managing him. And then that's what birthed Big Deal Management. This was in 2007. So yeah, um, long story short, for a few years I was managing music artists um, and I bumped into an agent called Billy Woods who I stalked and he was the big music agent at the time. And I mean, I really stalked him. I, I was, I was made sure I was at every event that he was at. I'd make sure I'd, 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 I'd look at his statuses and see that he was looking for a driver, he's looking for this. And I'd say, look, I can do it. I can do it. He had a wrestling show on in my local town, which was really random. So I said, look, put your posters in my shop. From that, we became friends. And uh, he introduced me to Adam Deacon while I was actually working in a call center, um, doing my evening shift, paying the bills. And uh, he said, what, do you want to manage Adam? I was like, I don't really, I don't know. I can meet him. So I met him the next morning, uh, 11.30, 12.30, I was his manager. Mm -hmm. And uh, one o'clock I was wondering, what the hell am I, how am I doing this? How do I manage actors? I don't even, I just learned as I was going along. But one year later, we came after. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's an amazing story. But like looking back on it now, off the back of what you've said, do you feel like it was because you were prepared to go that extra mile? Do you think when it comes to opportunities, opportunities open up to those who are willing to, to persevere and go the extra mile? Absolutely. Um, I, I knew early on that no one was going to give me anything. I knew that from the get-go. Um, okay. I wasn't in any. I didn't have any contacts. I wasn't in any circles. I didn't have any of that stuff. So I knew. But what I did have is a big mouth and, a, and an attitude of just being, pers you know, persevering through it. So um, that was that was really my weapon of choice. Just my drive and my perseverance, mm. and also just being ignorant and naive enough to think that why not? Do you know what yeah. I mean? I, just, I didn't really let wisdom. And everyone else around me had wisdom. I didn't really listen to that because I, I was ignorant. Um, I didn't really listen to the what ifs because I just stay away from that entirely. So I just convinced myself I was going to do it. And I didn't always know how I was going to get there. But just small steps, small steps, small steps. One email, one MySpace message. 
one message on Facebook, you know, all of these little things, being at every event, saying, hello, hi, my name's Danny. All of these little things were able to wear my weapons. So I didn't ever feel like I was at a disadvantage, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was perfectly able with what I did have. As yeah. little as it was, it was enough for me to get to where I needed to get to and accomplish each stage that I needed to get, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so when you founded Big Deal Films, I know that it was founded partly out of this frustration of, you know, seeing a lack of British Asian talent being represented as well um, in, in like, you know, your mainstream TV, uh, etc. But um, how did you feel growing up as a kid? Did you, was that like lack of representation really apparent? And like, did it make you feel that? Because I know from an actor's perspective as well, like, um, I, I actually, I, I spoke to Umbreen, um uh, Razia the other day as well for the podcast. And interestingly, you know, she also said that growing up, like, you know, when it came to like finding a monologue, it was like, well, who, whose monologue do I pick as a British Asian actress? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, for sure. There's, there's not, there wasn't many options. When I was growing up, there were only, we only had goodness gracious me, right? Yeah. And that was our only representation on any kind of mainstream TV. Um, I don't know if I, look, I can't say that I had this chip on my shoulder from early because uh, I just was just cracking on, but I noticed there was nothing there. So when, for example, Jay Sean came out, any, it wasn't just TV that I was looking at. Anytime I saw an Asian in the mainstream, that was enough of an inspiration or motivation for me to want to branch, you know, go to the next level and look at their journey and be inspired by that and think, okay, if they've done it, I can do it. Do you know what I mean? So in terms of um, on the TV side of things, I just, I just think it was a natural progression. You know, mm. there was the reason I started the company because there was such a lack of diversity, but you know, um, I don't want diversity to be the only thing that I would be defined by. So I was actually very much, um, I was very much inspired by Jay-Z, Puff Daddy, and a lot of the entertainment and music moguls in America, Simon Cowell. So it was always my dream to, set up my own media empire that was always going to happen mm. um it was just a case of how i was going to get there mm. i had factor under my belt so i could leverage that uh, but then the other thing was um it was just out of frustration that even though i had this amazing roster they're not getting the jobs that they should be getting i don't want to keep on waiting around for a phone call that may or may not come or to get led on by a production company or to get led on by a channel or to get led on by a channel who just doesn't understand the power of these talents, right? So in my ignorance, in my defiance, and in my kind of like F you to the system, I'm gonna set up my company and I know how I'm gonna sell them. I know how to promote them. So you're gonna take my talent, but also you're gonna take my production at the same time. So I'll, eat, I'll make money off that as well. Mm -hmm. so yeah. That was drive into that world as well. So, I mean, you, you guys have done like some incredible work up, you know, up until this point, you're producing content for platforms like BBC and Channel 4 now. And in that journey and, you know, in the progression to making that happen, did you feel like communicating your vision to, to people to make them believe in your vision? Was, was, was it like, was it challenging to do that? And if that wasn't the challenging part, what was the most challenging part for you? No, so initially the challenging part was um, getting through to the channels. Um, before I even started the production company, I remember going into the BBC with Hamza and they said, the commissioner said, 
you've got more views on your channel than we have in ours. How do you do it? And it only the conversation stopped at how do you do it and let us know. The conversation didn't, didn't progress to you're doing amazing. You've got amazing views. You're, you've got this whole audience that you've plugged in and engaged. Come to our channel and let's see what we can do. Let's see how we can collaborate and do that. And the conversation didn't go where I wanted it to go. It was a very frustrating meeting. So that was, a, that was an incident in my head that I thought, okay, something needs to change. And then, um, um, so yeah, so when we first started, um, a year into starting, so we'd already had a couple of productions under our belt. I remember approaching the commissioner at the BBC and um, they said, this was in the summer, right? In August, 2015, 14. Uh, we've already established ourselves. And he said, look, we're not commissioning right now. Come back to us in April next year. So that's damn near, it feels like a year later. Come back to us a year later. Meanwhile, on the trade press, I'm seeing that they're still commissioning shows. That person's signing shows. The channel's taking on new shows. They just didn't want to take our shows. So I was like, all right. Then what happened is, this was the biggest game changer for us at that point. Uh, January of 2015, the BBC did this game changing thing, right? They took on, uh, they employed six com assistant commissioners from black, Asian, and other minority backgrounds, BAME backgrounds. And they put these commissioners in each of these departments, in comedy, in drama, in entertainment, in children's, in documentary, or whatever, right? Every mm. In the space of three months, I landed five commissions in each of, across those 60 departments, right? Wow. In that, in that space of time, I became a supplier for The One Show. The One Show is the BBC's biggest primetime platform show every day. We supplies for that. We became a supplier for CBBC's documentaries, telling diverse stories from the ground up, from targeting children. Uh, we landed a comedy show uh, with Hamza. We just landed all these shows. And what that, the challenge was that the channels didn't have any people that looked like me making decisions, right? So if they don't look like me, if they don't relate to me, how are they going to identify with the stories and the perspectives that mm. I'm presenting to them? Mm. You know, issue. The moment that changed and we landed a ton of shows, I was then able to leverage that and go to Channel 4 and say, look, this is what we're doing. Go to Sky and say, this is what we're doing. And, mm. every, and at the time, I'm, I'm 34 now, but back then I was 30. Yeah, 29, 30. So I was young. So that's an, uh, me being young also worked against me initially as well. And it still does. Cause I'm the youngest, well, I, don't, I think I'm the youngest production company owner that's doing bits right now. So yeah, that worked against me, but um, our shows, you know, my catalog of shows back up, you know, back up my lack of experience. Yeah. And, and so how did, how did that kind of collaboration with uh, Hamza begin? So Hamza, you know, he, he's like an incredible talent. Obviously you've been representing him for a while. He's got a huge fan following of his show, Bad Man, and now, you know, a children's book author as well. And you've done the Bad Man series. Um, how did that, how did that begin? And what made you say like, you know, this is a guy I want to represent and I want to carve a career for him? Sure. So um, around the time that Adam was nominated for the BAFTA, that's the only BAFTA that's voted for by the British public. So I went to every TV celebrity, musician, artist, everyone from James Corden to Simon Cowell to Ollie Murs to One Direction, everyone, um, Jay Shaw, uh, everyone, I approached everyone to put the tweet out. Now Hamza at the time had Die of a Badman, which was a huge, huge series on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It was the UK's first big YouTube sensation. 
So I reached out to his management at the time and said, look, could you please put this, could you please ask him to put this tweet out? And he did. And then, um, so I was always, in fact, I actually approached Hamza to manage him. I've got the, I'll send you the message as well. I, I messaged him January of 2011. He ignored my message. Two months, <laughs> later, two months later, I met Adam Deacon. One year later, we won the BAFTA. Then one year after that, I approached Hamza to work with him again. And this time his manager said, look, uh, I'm about to start a family. So um, I'm going to be stepping away from management, but maybe you guys should meet and um you know see uh you know if you guys can work something out so i was like yeah great so i met him first meeting he was playing hard to get the second meeting uh, i took him in to meet my agents as well william morris so i said if you man if i manage you you don't just get me you also get a big agency behind you as well so uh long story short after that meeting he said look you can meet me on three you can manage me on three conditions um, number one, you're always honest with me. Number two, I know you've got Adam as your big client, but if you put time into me, I promise you it'll work out. And number three, I like you, but you have to meet my mom. If my mom, <laughs> if my mom likes you, then um, I think yes. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's what happens. I, I like his condition. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never, I've never, I've, I've never even met a girl's mom before, and I have to meet her. <laughs> so. I mean, what, but what is the challenge? Like, you guys have a, a really great relationship, working relationship, obviously. But what, in, like, what is the most challenging aspect for you when it comes to, like, managing an artist? Um, managing their egos. Yeah, they're really? Graves are delicate. Um, yeah, they're, they're very delicate. You have to tread really carefully sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're sensitive. They don't want to hear the truth. Um, yeah. You have to how you... Uh, how you present that and then because I'm a producer as well I see things from the other side now so I can look at the talent a bit more objectively and tell them why they may not get this job or why this isn't the right opportunity for them and and whatnot whereas as a manager you want to present you want to be like yep yeah, he can do this 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 mm. with the producer and sometimes that might not be their calling and that might not be the right thing so that's it's being a producer allowed me to be a bit more objective um other challenges i mean that that's 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 quite big because like you know at, you know talent want all the jobs they go for right and sometimes the challenge is keeping their spirits up when you get no's when you get the rejection mm. when it doesn't happen doesn't get continued you've got to still keep them propped up and we're fortunate in the sense of we're always throwing logs in the fire but you know you could quite easily have a quiet period and um sometimes it's okay to be quiet sometimes it's okay just to recharge a little bit and give yourself the time to think about what to do next you know look yeah. at yourself a bit of self-reflection time but uh managing the managing a personality can be a full-time job and what was rejection like for you personally as someone you know who is persevering trying to like build a niche and you know carve a way for creating different content, which you're passionate about. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, rejection did come along the way. How did you kind of process that and make sure that, you know, you, you didn't let it get to you and you did continue? I really don't take it personally. I think I'm closer to a yes. I, 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 it just gives me energy to pursue, like genuinely speaking. And we've had so many, I mean, there's been shows that haven't been continued. There's been 
developments where we've got so far into the process and then it doesn't happen. It falls at the last hurdle. I mean, we've put time into it. I put thousands of pounds worth of money into, um, I remember like one time with the one show, by in uh, 2016 in the summer, me and Tom, my partner, my business partner, um, he would come up with the ideas and I would come up with finding the people that uh, we'd feature in the documentary, right? And just us two alone, we landed by ourselves 12 one show films. So on the biggest prime time platform, 12, right? So we thought the next year, we thought, you know what? We're gonna, let's, let's put money into this. Let's actually hire people, right? Who are brilliant at ideas and who are brilliant at writing treatments, right? And so we spent close to 25 grand for the three months of just hiring really talented people, right? Yeah. And then when we submitted all the ideas to the BBC and the one show, they said, um, we actually prefer the ideas you did last time. So I'm really sorry, but we're only going to give you seven ideas. So I just, I damn near just lost all my profit before I'd even started on the films. And what they said is they said, look, we actually prefer it when you guys were more yourselves and rather than trying to be mainstream, you know, which is what you last, when you guys did the ideas yourselves, you presented your perspectives. Now you try to be mainstream and um, we prefer your ideas that are more unique to you. So that was a financial rejection which hurt because i was just like shit now i have to manage this cash flow situation yeah and i'm lots of people chasing me up for invoices and i'm gonna have to really be pejorative with how i manage my money now so that was <laughs> that was that was tough but I, I honestly speaking when when we get a note i it bothers me for about five minutes of fuck's sake yeah then after i have that fuck's sake moment uh i just literally look at the next opportunity I tell myself they're going to see me again and they always do. So it's just, I just use it as energy to crack on. I, I don't even, I, genuinely, I don't even take it personally. Mm. It's not, it's only TV. How serious is it? Yeah. But you said something interesting. Like it's interesting that somebody else came forward and told you that, you know, be authentic. I like what you were doing before, before you were trying to go mainstream. So that's something interesting that I find is like, for British Asians then working, whether it's behind the camera, in front of the camera, what do you think they can do to be unique? Obviously there's tons of competition now. I think representation has got much better. I think the States are better at it, but I think the UK is definitely up and coming. Um, but how do you ensure that you stand out? Is it about embracing who you are as opposed to then trying to blend in? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, we, we tried the whole blending in thing. It didn't really work out. Um, because we weren't even passionate about, I wasn't passionate about pitching it. I wasn't passionate about talking about it when I go to a meeting. I was passionate about the stuff I knew and what I was, what I was into, you know. So um, what I also realized, well, the current climate, um, with the current climate as it is, um, there's so many choices of platform now that um, you don't have to come with a big mainstream idea every time. Actually, your unique perspective can be enough to be interesting to where a platform will want to take it. We just landed two dramas uh, with CVPC, right? Just monologues. Uh, but one's a working class story and the other one is an LGBTQI story and just very authentic stories from the authors. Um, and it was fine. One thing in terms of authenticity side of things as well, one thing that we've, we do more of now as well is 
in the beginning, we didn't have much money. So all of our ideas and the dramas and comedies were thought of by my partner. And then we'd, we'd have to go through a vetting process of finding writers that could be the best fit. Now that we've had a bit more success in our journey and stuff, now we actually um, hire, now, now we actually will, will option scripts from that, are re that just really are authentic voices, unique perspectives, and we'll champion them rather than trying to do the most mainstream ITV idea. We'll just, we trust, trust that our choices are good and our instincts are good and that mm. authentic, more times than not will always win. So, and what stories um, do, do you, and of course, Big Deal Films find interesting. What are the kind of stories that you want to share? Um, honestly, it sounds really, I sound broken when I say authentic voices. I just want a story that I've not seen before. I want a perspective that hasn't been seen before. Being from, a, being from a, an Asian background and working class, I probably identify with working class more than I do Asian, right? Um, I want to hear more stories like mine. There's more people in the country that, share the same class as I do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, then, so I think there's a whole underserved audience there. A lot of the people that make drama are very middle class, upper class, yeah. private school. I don't want that. Um, I mean, I won't say no to a good idea because ultimately that's what I'm led by, right? Yeah. But TV is already served by those, you know, by the middle class. Mm -hmm. But show me someone, show me there's someone that's a fantastic writer that came from nothing and that may just be a fantastic shit hot writer, I'll champion them. Do you know what I mean? So it's more so about the people um, than some make-believe stuff, you know? Yeah. We've got the kids, but that's a unique perspective of an Asian kid who just happens to be have an interesting world and interesting life, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it was authentic to him. It was authentic to the audience that read it. And so I don't have too much of a strict requirement. It's just, are you talented, number one? Can you tell a good story? Number two. And number three, um, give it to me at a good price. <laughs> of course. Of course. So, and is there any advice that you would give to talking about performers now in front of the camera and, and if you were wearing your producer hat from that perspective? Um, for, for particularly British, Asian or BAME actors from, you know, different ethnic groups. Um, in terms of like trying to do the work they want to do and not obviously waiting to be handed the work necessarily what could they be doing um in the time I, of waiting you know uh, i'd collaborate with other writers i'd collaborate i find out who the top writers are and collaborate with them that's I'd, I, and there's no right or wrong approach here it's just a case of i'm not going to say you have to be really targeted no you've got to just like put that net out and just see what sticks right so i'd absolutely be working i'd be approaching writers love your work um if you're writing something please think of me right approach production companies right now being bame the reality being bame is it's from one time in the in our lifetimes that being brown actually works to your advantage yeah mm -hmm. find who the casting directors are who are, the, who are the ones casting these shows make your relationships with them there's one thing that i'm okay at it's my relationships and that's always been my uh, weapon so I would apply that everywhere, especially if I was an actor or an actress. So make friends with um, casting directors. Yes, obviously shoot a bunch of scenes and shoot, you know, shoot your monologues and stuff. Great. Service them out, you know, put them to the casting director. I'd be hitting up a casting director once a month if it was me. Um, yeah. I'd also be working with writers and actually, if I, if I was a performer as well, I would be exercising my writing ability. 
right? Mm. Um, I I, maybe it's just my personality, but I wouldn't be content with only being an actor. Yeah. Right? I don't think you can be content with only being that because the choices are so not in your favor. The odds are absolutely not in your favor. That True. you need to take a step back and be clinical and look at yourself through the eyes of the person buying off you. Mm. What is your, what's your special weapon, your performance? Okay, great. The numbers game you have to go through to get that role and the luck and odds and you being on your best game that day and the person who's the cast director is looking at you and you have to hope they're in the mood and they get it and they're in the vibe. There's so many odds. You've probably got a better chance of being born, yeah, and winning that race than you do of getting a role, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I would tell myself, right? I'd prepare myself for that harsh reality that no one owes you shit, right? Yeah, so, yeah. How am I going to make myself stand out? All right, so I'm going to exercise my writing side. Um, I would set up a production company. Why not? Why, what did I do that's so special? I didn't even go to fucking film school. Mm. What am I doing here? I employ people from Oxford now, right? What did I do different? I just set up a company and just collaborated with people that were smarter than me or that had skills that I didn't have, but then I have skills that they don't have, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I, I created my movement that way through collaboration and networking and being at every event, you know? I, I wasn't welcomed into TV. No one welcomed me, but I was at every event. And then with every event, you start to become, you start to be seen as being part of that community. You start to talk, you introduce yourself and stuff, and people start to trust you. You become a familiar face. Now I'm welcome in TV. If you, if you ask anyone in the TV world about diversity in TV, the first company they'll say is Big Deal. And I'll, 100%. So, but that came through just embedding myself and collaborating with people smart, you know? Mm. So if I was an actor, an actress, I would just, I would start collaborating. I'll start networking, you know, look at yourself as a business. Right? Yeah. You've, got a yeah. You've got a product. How are you marketing yourself? You know, mm. what's your network? Your network is your net worth, blah, blah, blah. Right. But who's your network? Right. Who can you call, who can you call upon? Who can call upon, who is going to call upon you? How, what value are you adding to the other person? Right. Mm. I know that if someone asks me a favor, okay, I've built enough of a, I've carved out enough of a niche for myself where if someone calls me for something, I know it's because they think I can add value. You as an actor, where are you adding value? You as a person, where are you adding value? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Why is someone going to call you? Work out why someone's going to want to call you first when they need you, right? Yeah. And then you, you, might have start, you might start to have somewhat of a, of a business. Mm. Yeah, very true. Well, thank you for, for coming on and uh, sharing some of your wisdom. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again. Yeah, have a good one, yeah? Good seeing you. That was the end of an episode on the series of Ignite. I hope you continue to tune in every Sunday for a brand new episode with a brand new guest. This series is super close to my heart, um, being with fellow creatives, so I really hope you enjoy it. Stay updated with everything Unplug with Annie on the website, of course, and the IG page and Facebook page, Unplug with Annie.